You are listening to Talking I.O., a podcast about technology in the real world, where we discuss enterprise technology, how to sell it, and how it best helps your customers. Your hosts are Christian Cloud and Stuart Harmon, and we work for Dell EMC. Follow us on TalkingIO.com or on Twitter at TalkingIO. Okay, thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, this is another episode of Talking I.O. This is episode number three. We'll be discussing OpenStack uh, and how Dell EMC and Dell Technologies approaches OpenStack and our partnership. With us today, we have Trey Mears from Dell EMC, part of our cloud, what's your role, Trey? Enterprise cloud specialist? Yes, sir. Um, Trey is one of our top level resources within the organization. And of course, as always, Christian Cloud. Christian Cloud's with us. Uh, my name is Stuart Harmon. I appreciate you all joining us and taking the time to listen. Before we get into the news this episode, I do want to call out that we do have a meetup coming up. Uh, we'll be in, Christian and I will be, and Trey will be in Atlanta, Georgia for the week of 821. So anybody that's out there, we'd love to come and say hello in person. Um, come join us for a quick happy hour. Uh, so going into the news, uh, the world can rejoice, right? We uh, National Institute of Standards and Technology has said that they might have made a mistake uh, in requiring us to have long passwords that are completely random with weird symbols that we can't remember. Um, they are changing that rule. Uh, so the first thing I noticed is that Bill Burr had something to do with this. Are we talking about the comedian or are we talking about the uh, – who's this guy? I, I don't know. You know, so a lot of these comedians came from really awful corporate jobs, and they say that Bill Burr was a mid-level manager at the National Institute. Institute of Standards. So, well, if you've heard of stand-up, he has a lot of anger. So yeah, so he could have been. <laughs> I mean, he came from, the anger came from having to have these long passwords. That's what I think he came could, from. Could you imagine? Uh, that would be crazy. So uh, it, I, I think it's great news, right? There, there's countless hours. Uh, they found that uh, a randomized seven or eight-digit password takes like a day or 14 hours to hack out. It. And uh, if you have a long passphrase that you can remember that's all in, in written characters that you understand, it takes like 14 days, right? So um, – I think it's going to make a world of difference for this, those of us out here. Question is, how many years until everybody implements this? Um, so you still have to remember the old version and the new versions, right? However, let me make a point, though. <laughs> I still know people that's passwords are their name, one, two, three. or I mean, so I mean, it's it covers the scale. Like Some people's passwords are absolutely horrible, which are probably... You can't have a loopy password. I mean, come on, be <laughs> yeah. a little bit a little smart. But, you know, I might change mine to, you know, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, um, something like that. Because, that you know, you can type the whole thing and uses every letter in the alphabet. What right? bank do you use? What bank do you use? <laughs> uh, yeah. Seattle Pacific Credit Union? No. Um, I think it makes a huge difference, though. And uh, it, is, it is way easier to remember than my generic password that I roll one strange character over every three months, right? <laughs> I do this. <laughs> Don't tell anybody my secret. Of course, if you saw my Visa one I put in today, that one's not the politest. Um, well, it's good to know we can change them now. We don't have to worry about that. We have to take so much consideration. Yeah. It, it would, uh, one thing I read in here is the guy that's rewriting this this standard said he wrote a technology standard, Mr. Bill Burr, that lasted for 15 years. Who else can say that they wrote something that's been the standard for 15 years in the fastest changing his uh, industry in history? I think that's cool. It's pretty it is cool. Um, and it's, and it's even if, even if uh, along bad passwords, uh, Siemens having to update their medical scan software because low skill hackers can break into it. Does that mean me? Yes. Low skill. I don't know. What's your skill? I haven't seen you try and hack. <laughs> I uh, I think it's crazy, right? We, we've talked about endpoints, right? We all talk about hardening the data center and everything, and you can just have these silly devices sitting out there that 
nobody thinks about. They build them once. Uh, IoT is going to make the same problem, right? You got these devices, you build them, you set them out on a network, uh, you forget about them. Uh, you even take something like our watches or, or, you know, things that we buy now that they're going to stop updating firmware, but people are going to keep them for years past that, right? Um, yeah. Well, that's why I don't have a pacemaker with a 3G card in it. That's why you just don't want to do that. <laughs> so you have a pacemaker? <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Stuart and I were in a meeting yesterday, and uh, a coworker had mentioned that they were at a bodybuilding competition at the same time that DEF CON was going on. And they were instructed, all the bodybuilders were instructed to remove turn off whatever they need to do to disable any type of ways for the hackers to uh, to attack. So I wonder how many people actually were attacked during that. Convention. I'd be putting uh, tape over my cameras if I am in a room, a building full of nerds that know how to hack my camera. And <laughs> Absolutely. I'm gonna, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's probably not a lot of private VPN or VPNs or anything with the body, within the bodybuilding community. This is another one I thought was interesting. So I'm a sailor. I like to navigate. It's... I enjoy it. It's one of my hobbies. Um, people are actually, because of another cyber attack risk, uh, actually moving back to the future to old school World War II technology navigation systems because current GPS, GPS-based satellite is the easiest thing to block as a foreign government. So a radio base, so right, you do radio pinging, so the stronger the, the signal, it's the closer you are to it, and then you can do some telemetry off of that. Um is 1.3 million times stronger than the GPS signal. The Chinese have proven to use it in the South China Sea, so uh, major shipping firms are actually moving back to what we would consider today ancient technology before any type of global positioning system for safety concerns. How long before we're striking stones for fire? <laughs> I think I still have a pen somewhere and some paper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, we could probably make it happen. I, I still know how to make a fire with a, a, a bow and a stick. Boy Scout, so you know. I still have a typewriter home. Nice. I mean, it's electric, baby. Awesome. Do you, really? do you really? Yeah, we do. Awesome. I wish my, I grew up with one. I wish I knew where it was. Like, you know, you type too fast and all the keys lock up and they look awesome. They're great props for the house now. Oh, so you get a little bit white out on them electric. It's real tough to get it off. <laughs> um, kids don't even know it these days, don't even know what uh, white out is. So it's all good. No kids. Do they still sell it? That's yeah, they, I'm, I'm, sure they I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. <laughs> I remember having to forge documents when I was a kid trying to, right? You had to white out real bad, then copy over something, then scan it really poorly a couple of times before you handed it into your Sounds teacher. Like you had some, uh, some practice with that. I never, I never did that at all. <laughs> um, speaking of kids not knowing technology, though, uh, right? Saying that kids, they're da- digital natives, so people who are born with a cell phone in their hand or a tablet in their hand, uh, don't process any information differently than we do or people that, that were around far before technology. Um, I think it's interesting. We look at the new workforce and we talk about millennials and they're so comfortable with technology. Um, they don't actually know more about technology. And I think they actually know far less about it than people that used it when it was broken. Correction. Permanently. They're more comfortable with selfies, not technology, <laughs> selfies. Uh, Absolutely. Are you seeing that with your kids? Absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, I was saying the other day uh, is that my kids don't even know how to spell anymore uh, because they use autocorrect. They have Grammarly on their computers. They don't know how to do grammar anymore. So if they actually had to take a pen and write something down, their grammar and spelling would be just atrocious. So they're always asking me, hey, how do you spell this? How do you spell that? You know, when they're writing things down, it's just funny. So technology's made our lives better. 
But in some ways, like they don't even know how to write in cursive. You go back and you look at all those different things. It's just very interesting how times have changed and they've made things a lot better. Like I love my spell check and I love Grammarly and I love, you know, uh, not having to carry a pen everywhere. But, uh, you know, definitely has made things uh, a bit interesting. I was a bad speller as a kid. And I still am. But, you know, if you screw things up enough, autocorrect doesn't even know what you're talking about. Like, you've got to be pretty close. Yeah. And it's not all phonetic autocorrect either. Like, you have to be correct on the right yep. spelling of the word Trivia. to get there. Or a question, I should say. Or what about here, here, and there, and there, and there, right? Where? Well, <laughs> right? You know those words? Like, your kids use the wrong one. In uh-huh. Place? What, is, what is you, the, both of you, what is the most commonly misspelled word for you? Like your, your personal misspelled me? word? Oh, God, we were talking about this the other day. Yeah. <laughs> Christ, oh, I have to think about it. Mine restaurant. Cannot spell it. You know what I screw up That's constantly? That's actually not a bad one. That's probably close to mine, too. I screw up infrastructure all the time. And I think it's because it's a, it's a long word, and you're typing fast, and it uses all ten fingers, right? And so... And then you miss one and you can't go. It drives me nuts. <laughs> like that has been a type, a part of my title for almost 20 years now. And I still fat finger it on a daily basis. I don't know that I admit that on the recorded show. I shouldn't. I, I also, <laughs> it's okay. I'm the one that hits the edit button. So it's fine. The worst one that I honestly, I, I, I don't do myself. Because I think um, restaurant is definitely it's one. It always looks like restraint. There's <laughs> <laughs> something else. Want to <laughs> I want to Now that you shouldn't admit on the show. <laughs> I know, Everything. <laughs> But uh, the other one that I see all the time is a lot. Oh, dude, it's a lot. Like a lot and a lot are two different things. There needs to be if it's a yeah. lot of things, if there's a space in the middle, not a lot of them. So it's either it's one or the other. And in fact, I was uh, in a place the other day and they had a slide up on the screen and it said a lot. And I'm like, you mean a space lot or do you mean a lot? Because I'm pretty sure you mean a space lot. It gets used misused all the time. Drives me crazy. I'm positive I screw that one up often. <laughs> um. The dying art of grammar. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, since I have nothing from from Skynet this week, uh, I, w- I will say Apple has continued their evil streak in. They have bowed down to China and removed tools that allow Chinese citizens or anybody in China to go around their censorship programs. China's, I guess, cracking down because they have a huge Communist Party party coming up soon. Um, what do you guys think? Are we going to see more of this as? China's not the only one. Europe has different rules. I mean, some are more freedom, some are less freedom, some are different versions of what we consider freedom. Um, I think Apple wants to make money, is what I think. Yep. And so uh, anybody, you know, in a capitalistic society like we're in, uh, you know, they want to make money, then they're going to have to adapt their, their programs and applications to run where they want to run. I think there's a billion people over there at least, right? Yeah. A couple billion. I think so. it's the money, next billion. I mean, that's yeah. the new thing, right? What's the next billion in technology? These. Uh, yeah developing nations or not developing nations that are, are now having access to really cheap technology. Absolutely. Cash very often uh, trumps political affiliations and, and uh, it was interesting. Yeah. When the internet first came out, we it thought it would <laughs> end all authoritarian regimes. And now they're saying that actually it makes it easier for some of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just interesting to see what would happen. And I think uh, uh, time will tell, I guess. We'll see. Absolutely. Um, and people always make better tools, right? Yeah. The sensors and the hackers and then the sensors and then the... Well, they always figure out ways around. I was a teenager. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Maybe they'll go back to old school, like everybody will pick up a ham radio again. You can't block radio. That's you can right. find it easy. You, you can't can stop it. it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and last note there. So Samsung has now toppled Intel as the world's biggest chip maker. Pretty incredible. Intel's been king for a long time. 
Well, I think we have to be careful too and understand that what what chip means because chip means so many things these days. It's completely different than when we were kids, like chips and yeah. Samsung's and not making my laptop. No, right? Dell doesn't make a Samsung Windows 10 device. No, yeah, no. So it's very, very interesting. And so uh, to see Samsung do that, it's definitely a feat for sure. Um, but it also speaks to how many devices are not compute type devices. They're a they're a compute device, but they're handheld devices as opposed to a laptop or a so server true. or a centralized server or something like that, right? Yeah. It just shows that how many more of those processes are going out. So it actually speaks more to a change in the economy that we have today than it does speak to whether or not they've been toppled or not, because it's just a different type of processor, right? When you look it's a different the, type of thing. So you look at the number of processors in your car. Yeah. Right? Nobody thinks of their car as a data center, but yeah. there's processors in yep. there now. That's crazy. Uh, That's crazy. And watch out if you're going to Hawaii. You can now get charged if you carry a smartphone or if you look at your smartphone while crossing the street. If you carry a smartphone, that might be Carry a smartphone. <laughs> well, state of Washington, you can't even hold this. Like, you don't even have to be looking at it. Like, you can – it used to be if you were holding GPS. Now they've decided that if you're touching a phone, you can't figure out how to drive. Yeah, well, they can talk to you now, so hopefully that's okay. And yeah. one of my late night <laughs> web surfing <laughs> adventures. I know that sounds terrible, but like the uh, are we gonna put that in our URL link too, or we'll, we'll have to I, edit I, that I, one out. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, point being, I, I was I stumbled upon some website. I don't remember what it was, and it showed a device that can show like they were trying to develop a device that a police officer can use to show what the last thing you were doing on your phone. So if you just said no, I was just moving it from this hand to the next. Beep. Oh no! How's that Facebook post treating you? So it's pretty interesting. Like, there's a lot of technology. Like it's, it's it's essentially a breathalyzer for. And I want to talk trash to China. Um, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, all right, so that's the news. Uh, moving into our core segment. So OpenStack. Trey, I'll let you introduce yourself. What's your role at Dell EMC? Sure. Um, thanks. I am an enterprise cloud tech. Technology. Oh, dang it! You have to edit that. You can edit it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, edit. Well, well, <laughs> I'm an enterprise cloud specialist. We'll try to get one. Nobody's laughing. <laughs> Why are they laughing at that? I know, right? Um, I'm an enterprise cloud specialist. I focus primarily on our open-based solutions, which include things like OpenStack, but also include other things like stuff and cluster and other things as well. Um, my team covers every account in North America and Canada, but all things OpenStack. So as long as that account is somewhere uh, in North America, we're good to go to help you and help your customer uh, figure out what they need to do with OpenStack. Um, we are really the only OpenStack team at Dell. There's about seven of us on my team, including an architect and um, seven other specialists. So we have a great team that's here and ready to help you. And we're regionally based, so no matter where you're at in the U.S. or Canada, we have uh, team members that are ready and willing and able to assist you. Wonderful. Uh, you are part of our Global Alliances organization? Yes, I am. Awesome. Which so, would include like uh, Microsoft and Red Hat, right? And just and just to name a few, uh, as you go throughout that. It used to be VMware, but obviously they're not a global alliance now. They're actually uh, <laughs> kind of got slipped from global alliance to uh, yeah. we own you. Uh, actually, you know what's funny is there's a little bit of a dotted line there because we still are global alliance with them because we work with them as a separate company in a lot of ways still right. with the way we, we interact with them. But there's also a lot of things that are starting to converge and come yeah. together. So They are their own publicly traded organization yeah. still, right, even though Michael Dell owns the vast majority of them. Yes. Um, and they have great cloud products, which you'll find out today as we talk about through things and some of the solutions we have. Uh, they are definitely a big part of our cloud strategy and story here at Dell. Yeah, last week uh, or two weeks ago, we had Felix Vargas on from VMware to talk through some of their VMware Cloud Foundations technology suite as well. Um, so great, great set of technologies there. Uh, so we're here today to talk about OpenStack. Let's start with what is OpenStack. 
So OpenStack by itself is simply a management framework that is the backbone for building our modern cloud platforms or modern data center. That's really what it is. It's, it's, it's kind of a construct, right? It's not really necessarily a single technology. It's actually kind of a group of technologies that's been put together um, over time, over a consortium of people and resources uh, to build something that's pretty groundbreaking. So, Great. Um, you know, we're always talking to our customers around, let's build cloud. So what is cloud? And then as to, to, sure. to kind of double down on that, um, are we talking infrastructure as a service, platform as a service? Um, where does OpenStack sit in that? Where does OpenStack sit in that conversation? Sure, sure. And to answer what is cloud, I think we could probably, besides Christian Cloud, who's sitting next to me here, um, <laughs> he is the cloud. The one and only. And when he goes outside, he becomes the public cloud, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, and then there's a private cloud. You know, exactly. So it's good. I, I can, I can, I can work with it. You know what I'm saying? But besides that, <laughs> definitely should capitalize on my name. <laughs> <laughs> But besides that, um, you know, uh, the cloud itself can be defined a bunch of different ways. I'll try to be as succinct as I can in saying that uh, the NIST definition is a really great place to start with what defines cloud. It's not the end-all, be-all definition, but it definitely is a great place to start, starting with things like elasticity and having a single-service portal, you know, self-service portal, uh, having things like a metered service. All those kinds of things point back to what an actual cloud is. Now, cloud itself, uh, as defined by NIST, can be put into various different operating models. And several of those models that have been defined, and which is always changing, as you know, NIST, as we learned earlier, is always updating their definitions, including things like passwords, uh, but also on cloud. And so some of those operating models are things like IaaS and PaaS. Well, IaaS is infrastructure as a service, which really, historically, that's what OpenStack provides. It is an infrastructure as a service. OpenStack allows you to run, you know, what we would consider traditional IT or storage, networking, and compute. Takes all those resources, puts them into a software layer, and runs them on x86 boxes. And really, at the end of the day, that is a software-defined data center that's running and providing IaaS-based services. Then there's also what we call PaaS, which is platform as a service. And platform as a service is more meant to, to abstract a lot of that uh, infrastructure part and just provide services of uh, things like uh, microservices and, excuse me, <clears throat> microservices and containers to those end users through things like a self-service portal and all that that, that the IaaS would then layer would also provide. And so those those two kind of sometimes what, what happens is they're used together or, or uh, sometimes it's misunderstood and they're one, you know, needs to run for the other one to run. It's not true. You can actually run a PaaS platform uh, completely isolated from an IS platform. For example, you can run uh, Docker on bare metal if you wanted to. And so PaaS and IaaS can run together or they can run separately. And so uh, understanding what each one does and their function is very important. And I think it's... Uh... I think when we get in front of customers, we want to act like we've, we've seen it all, we know it all. It's very important to level set with your customer. What do we call cloud? What do they call cloud? What do we define as infrastructure as a service? And what business challenges we solve for in our definition set? And what we call platform? And what are they? What business challenges are they trying to solve for, right? And if you don't take that step back, mm -hmm. uh, you are destined to fail every time. And I think it's any technology project. If you don't scope it right, it doesn't go well at the end. And you start by scoping, by defining requirements and business challenges that you're trying to overcome. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that definitely uh, is something that I think we're all learning 
Uh, we've known it for a long time, but I think we're, we're definitely approaching our customers in that new way of, uh, it seems new anyway, of saying, hey, you know, what, what are you actually trying to do? Asking more than two or three questions, right? You just keep asking why and what are you doing and oh, hey, oh, by the way, I am running OpenStack and then getting to the bottom of that and then that'll open up the ability for us to come in and uh, give them a real solution that's going to give them the right outcome that they're looking for. A question other than where's the PO? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which we all like. I mean, that's not a, that's not a bad question, but but really, at the end of the day, my passion for me is being able to solve customer problems and provide outcomes that nobody else can do. If we can go in there and do that, wow! Uh, you know, not only have we helped them and transformed the company, we potentially could have helped things like you know medical devices and and uh, you know transforming things like 5G networks and and network function virtualization. All those things can enable a lot of things that you and I take for granted today that are transforming that next layer. What is the next thing in the pipe that's coming down uh, in technology? We can actually be the ones that enable and fuel that. Wonderful. Cool. Continuing down the path, uh, you know, as we talk about infrastructure and platform as a service and and how OpenStack solves or addresses some of those. Um, I always like to bring this up. Hybrid cloud, so it's a key theme across all Dell technologies. It's a it's a theme we're seeing across a lot of the industries. Our partners like Microsoft are releasing the uh, Windows Hybrid Cloud, right? So you got on-premise that, that plugs in to, to Azure. Yeah. Um, how's Dell effect. positioned um, as a leader in that space? How, how is your role with OpenStack really out there? And then um, we kind of touched on this, but if you look at some of the other ways to approach it, mm-hmm. where is OpenStack um, the fit? Uh, how do you help customers identify that? Sure. So the great thing about Dell Technologies that I love is the fact that we have so many options and solutions to provide to our customers in the modern data center that we have today that we're dealing with. It is not the same data center that we built, like I just said a few minutes ago, 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's not the same data center. It's a different data center that we're building today. And um, Dell has some of the best solutions to that. And I know that sounds like this marketing mantra, but it really is true. And it's because... Um, we take all of that software and run it on these world-class server platforms that we have. Um, everything from the management that we have to the processors we have in there, everything we have in there that is built to run some of these platforms like VxRail, VxRack, Enterprise Hybrid Cloud, Native Hybrid Cloud, um, Azure Stack, and even Nutanix. I mean, there's so much support for anything that we have out there um, when it comes to running modern infrastructure and running hybrid cloud. We have so many uh, solutions for our customers. So with that said, Stuart, one of the things that we have is we call, and we were talking about this earlier before we even got online today, was the build-by continuum. And it's not build versus buy, it's build to buy. So it's a continuum where we have, it's not like one's on one side and one's on the other and they're fighting against each other. No, it's like kind of like a, a blend, right, between the two. And we have so many solutions starting on the DIY side where we have, you know, open architectures and reference architectures that we provide to our customers where we say, hey, if you follow this cookbook, you know, your results may vary, but you're going to get a chocolate chip cookie. If that's what you want, <laughs> we're going to give you a chocolate chip cookie. Now you can put more salt or sugar or whatever butter you want in there, but hey, at the end of the day, hopefully it's going to look like and taste like a chocolate chip cookie. Right. Or you can go down the other side and say, I want a bag of chocolate chip cookies. I don't want to make them. Right. And so I'm going to have that VX uh, rack or VX rail type solution. And we have many solutions in between that. We have what we call ready bundles. We have our ready systems. We have a lot of different ways to meet that customer need. And again, it's about asking that question to your customer. Mr. Customer, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? What is the end result that you're trying to get to? Then let us help you get there. And um, on that build by continuum, I think we have the best continuum in the industry where it allows our customer to choose whether that's maybe they want to bring their own licensing. 
Maybe we want to bring some of their own servers. Different things. It just depends on what they want to do. We can enable and help them like no one else can. And we have some of the best subject matter experts. You also said that earlier that um, the partners that we work with, uh, especially on our Global Alliances team, everybody, you know, from Red Hat to Canonical to Microsoft, right? You, you name it. We've got great partners that we work with out there. Um, and we have better relationships than we've ever had with them because everybody's starting to work more together, realizing we can accomplish more together, helping our customers and be the most flexible as possible to deliver, to deliver the best results. So I have, I have a question for you. So uh, to kind of continue down the build by continuum, the competitor name will be deleted to protect the innocent. <laughs> but it was brought to my attention as we were working on a project that uh, OpenStack would not be a good choice for the customer, so this competitor says, because it's more of a science project, was the way that they phrased mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, and they were really wanting to pitch more, and this isn't what it was, obviously, but uh, something that was a lot more appliance-based, like the VxRail system that Dell provides. Sure. So what would be your opinion on that, if, if, you were to, if that was said to you? Uh, it's said to me almost every week. I'm so, sure. I, <laughs> so Christian, yeah, I hear that all the time. Uh, it's, it's not a new comment for me. It's something that uh, you know, both the customer has. I've heard it from customers say it, and uh -huh. I've heard partners say it. I've heard um, many Dell folks say it. And I will say this to to answer that is, um, again, it all depends on what you're trying to do. It can be a science project, but it doesn't have to be. Again, on that build by continuum. You can make it a science project if you want and bake those cookies or, you know, and make them however you want, right? And they might not turn out right, and you might not even like them and throw, them, throw that batch away. But we also have reference architectures. that We have like a ready bundle, for example, um, and we can deploy that on-prem to a customer, and they don't have to try to cook it themselves. All they have to do is figure out how they're going to manage it, that day two operations. After I deliver this in on-prem, now what do I do? Because uh, a lot of times that's one of the bigger hurdles to get over. Mm -hmm. And so we can take that science fair project out of the science fair project. We can take it to a point where they can actually use it. And it's a common misnomer. It's just one of those things where people say, oh, well, it's just a science project. I don't want to get involved with that. Not necessarily. Maybe it's exactly what you need, and you're just afraid to, to jump out there and, and to actually do it. Mm -hmm. So, again, asking the customer what they need and try to figure it out. And I think that brings us into our, our, uh, another question here, right? Um, we, we hear about it all the time. OpenStack projects fail. They're hard to complete. They're yep. hard to yep. implement. Yep. Um, it can be a science project, like you said, and we all mm -hmm. know that yep. – you know, for a lot of uh, uh, you know, a lot of the engineers out there, their goal isn't to implement anything. They get toys and they get corporate money to play with them, and they really need somebody to to mm -hmm. manage to them and, and and make sure that there's an end result in mind. Um, maybe they do come out of the, the 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 university world, right, where it was a science project, and now yeah, they're having to, sure. to 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 get an actual result. I know that's tough, um, but but what are the challenges? Or do you see customers failing that that understand the at Dell EMC, we talk about it. Everybody's talking about it, right? Modernize, automate, transform, right? You modernize your technologies. You automate your processes right, through right. through yeah. modern technologies that have built in um, or through something like a platform as a service, right? And then you really have to transform your people. Is a lot of that failure in the transform component or is there an underlying difficulty in the technology stack? Sure. Um, I think it's a little bit of everything, to be honest with you, but uh, I think there's three main challenges when it comes to OpenStack environments and why they may succeed or not succeed. Um, one of them is, again, to what I go back to the beginning, it's the wrong choice to solve the problem. You know, you need a backhoe and you've got a spade. 
it's going to take you a long time with a plastic spoon to dig out that ditch. If you know if you're digging a trench for to lay some fiber, using a plastic spoon probably isn't the best tool. Although if you're going to eat a bowl of ice cream, use a backhoe instead of a, sp- a spoon. It's <laughs> probably going to be very very difficult. So again, it's about using the the right tool for the right job. Um, too often, OSP or OpenStack platform is chosen because it's viewed as cheaper. That's the most common misnomer. Everybody thinks, oh, it's cheaper, it's going to be better, it's going to be awesome. I'm trying to get rid of that perceived VMware tax. A lot, and I say perceived because a lot of times it is. It's perceived as a tax, but mm-hmm. it really is not. If you really look at it, a lot of times it's about maybe managing or taking advantage of all the features that they paid for they're not even using. Maybe they paid for SRM and they're not even using SRM, right? Things like that. And so that's things we can come in and Dell can definitely help. Uh, the customer with that. And so that's the first challenge, I would say. And the VMware tax is the same as the Microsoft tax, the exactly. IBM tax, the Oracle tax, right? It's all, they, they think that you can go do this free yes. thing you can download and it's free, so it's better. And they're not right. looking at the full cost of what that really takes to, to manage, implement, maintain. Well, exactly. Something like my dad told me, right? Nothing's free. It's yeah. just it's true. <laughs> it really is true. There is nothing free. And so that's what we have to realize is help our customers understand that, yeah, OpenStack, um, can solve that problem of maybe the the VMware perceived VMware tax, but it may not. It may end up being more expensive, and in many cases it is. But at the end of the day, is it is it driving the business outcome it needs to drive? And how much is it costing me to get there? If it is, then who cares, right? It doesn't really matter. The end justifies the means, you know, at, at that point, right? Um, another challenge I think that that our customers face when they look at OpenStack is lack of appropriate resources. A lot of times they think, okay, we can do this. This is great. And even if we can deliver it as a bundle solution to them, on day two operations, they're like, well, oh, crap, now what? What am I going to do now? It's day two. I've got this great solution we paid a million dollars for or whatever, whatever we've done to pay for the solution. And now it's just sitting there, you know, like a Ferrari, and I can't drive it. I've got the keys, but I don't even know how to start the thing. So what's really great is, like at Dell, for example, we have a lot of day two operations we can help our customers with, everything from training to, if you, you know what, if you don't want to manage it, we have – you know, partners that we work with that can actually manage the OpenStack, whether that's in the public cloud, on the private cloud, on-prem, at their-prem, different ways to manage and and do that. Um, but really what we see, honestly, at the end of the day is just a lack of resources. I was meeting with a customer the other day. You guys will laugh. Maybe, maybe not. But I'm meeting with a customer the other day, and, and I said, uh, so you guys are looking at OpenStack? Oh, yeah. I said, okay, so um, how many Linux guys do you have on staff? And they went, well, none. They're all VMware guys. And I'm like, well, you know, um, let me ask you about that. How, how do you plan on managing it on day two? Well, they'll figure it out. I'm like, probably not a great plan. If you don't have any Linux guys on staff, you probably should get some Linux guys on staff. And then not only just any Linux guys, but Linux guys that know OpenStack, right? And well, stuff and things how do like you that. run a data center? Because VMware is not an operating system. How do you run a data center? With no, are they all Microsoft guys? Or like, you can't know, just have right? VMware guys. I know, I know. <laughs> Well, the funny part is I always ask, the next question is, okay, and then, they, you know, they're, tr- they're trying to figure this out. And they're like, okay, that makes sense. And I'm like, yeah, okay, hit pause for a second. Let's ask yourself the question. If you had a VMware environment that has all your VMs, all of your HA, all of your company data, everything's within that, you know, those virtual machines and everything that's in that VMware environment, and you trust your administrators and your architects to manage that environment, and then all of a sudden you're going to move it over to this other environment and you're not going to have any experts in it, does that make sense? Does it make sense to move it just from one environment to another without, you know, making sure those people are trained and they know what they're so doing? What was right? It's like a guy who does heart surgery, right? And then you say, okay, you're gonna do brain surgery tomorrow. Yeah. It's like that. We there's different specialists in their area and they need to understand what they need to do. And that's that's it's a big challenge. So this goes back to what we were talking about a minute ago. 
Why was that customer looking at OpenStack? Did they think it was just cheaper to get off the ground? Yes, that was the main reason that particular customer was looking at it. And because they liked Linux and they've been in the Linux world for years and they got introduced in this environment, they're the new uh, you know, manager of IT and they're Linux-based and everything they saw was all Windows and VMware and they're like, we got to get off this stuff. And so that's a very common theme is, oh, well, you know, I'm going to switch it to the stuff that I understand. Is that Not where you knowing have to start these OpenStack discussions is with your customers' timeout? Are you just trying to get a cheaper piece of stuff in here, or are we talking to the line of business that's trying to develop something, or the developers that have a problem, and we think there's a faster way to respond to their needs? Is that where we start these conversations? So yes, um, really where we start the conversation is where you should always start an IT conversation is, is why. Why are you doing this? And then what outcome are you looking for? Why are you doing it? What outcome are you looking for? And how do you think you're going to get there, right? Who, what, where, why type questions, right? Ask open-ended questions. And then not only that, but make sure you're talking to the right person. We talked about this earlier, you know, Stuart, is that um, make sure that you're talking to the right person because those people have been changing that you talk to, right? To uh, mm-hmm. Because IT budgets have been shrinking, yet dev budgets for developers and applications, those have been growing. Or the guys that are running the databases, maybe those are growing. Or maybe you have like the, the chief marketing officer or the chief strategy officer. There's all these new C-level positions that are being created to address new, you know, the new economy and the new way things work, which means, guess what? You have new economic buyers you didn't even know existed. So if you're not talking to the guys in dev, like the chief of dev, right, or, um, you know, your chief strategy officer, which I have a company I met with the other day, I have a chief strategy officer. By and large, he's the best person I need to be talking to. Not even the CEO, not the CIO, not the CTO. I need to be talking to the strategy guy. Why? Because he sees both the dev and the ops, right? He sees both sides of that puzzle, and he's the one that's going to be making those decisions and saying, hey, this is our direction. This is how the company is going to go. We need these applications to help you know, meet our customers' needs faster and better and more agile, right? And so those are the people you need to, to talk to. And so to answer your question in a long way, this Stuart, basically saying, look, change who you're talking to. Don't just talk to the IT guys we've always talked to. Guess what? Their budgets are shrinking. They're going to say, how can I save money? Which is usually where that question starts. Oh, well, OpenStack will save me money. I have no more budget for that. And I need budget for my new storage system or I need budget for my new you know, X-Wan or whatever I've got to get going. Well, the only way I can do that is to cut budget from somewhere. So let's go with OpenStack. So that was kind of going to be my question for you, actually, in a way. Like the, like you, you think you actually answered it. So um, to use your car analogy, you, you park the Ferrari um, the keys belong to someone, but then who's actually driving it? It sounds like the DevOps people are the ones who are actually driving the car in this particular situation. Is that, is that or is that uh, too generic of a... No, statement? not necessarily. I think in many cases, they're the ones asking for OpenStack because even they don't necessarily understand it. What they know is, I need a VM. I want a self-service portal where I can go and create a VM or a container or a service as quickly as possible, and I don't want to involve those guys in IT who always tell me no. <laughs> Right? right? I need yeah. more storage. I need more compute. I need mm-hmm. more cores. And they just say, no, 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 no. All the time, we'll fill out the form, see you in a week. That doesn't work when you're trying to be agile and fast. That works in Waterfall just fine. Mm-hmm. Well, sort of. That's why we That's the problem with Waterfall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the problem, right? We'll see and you so, in nine months. Yeah, yeah we'll see you in nine months. Or, or every time the CIO gets asked by the CEO, how long is that project going to take? And his answer is six months. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even look at anything. He doesn't even look at the pipe. He just knows. It's going to take me six months because I have to buy new hardware or software or train people. Whereas Agile says, okay, I'm going to make a change today. I might make 1,500 changes to my application, to my live production application today while people are using it. 
and like, oh, they don't like the green background, let's go to gray. Oh, they don't like that text over there. Oh, they don't like that box over there. Or they, oh, they don't like the way that this works. Here are these drop-down boxes, whatever. They can change that on the fly. And Amazon does it every day. Thousands of times they make changes to their production every day based on agile methodologies and um, you know uh, frameworks. And so that's where I think we have to change. Is like you said with that, that Ferrari. Um, it is kind of it's kind of changing those people that are pushing that now they might be pushing OpenStack because they don't know any better or they're just trying to get some other framework to get that self-service portal and there are other solutions like uh, you know our native hybrid cloud that we have things like that or enterprise hybrid cloud um, you know we also have things like uh, Azure Stack which are just coming out now to the to the front you know to the forefront and it's amazing some of the things they're going to be able to do so, so that the is, landscape uh, is changing <laughs> that is our discussion on September 7th will be okay. Azure Stack so I'm excited to get that one out. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, again, these kind of are all starting to fold into one another, right? It's a lot of the same things. We're all providing IaaS and PaaS type solutions to, to, to make our customers' lives easier. So a CIO, unfortunately, is still a big part of a company, right? Like in the, absolutely. And, and so what they... Not unfortunately if you're in a CIO. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes we're a week, it might be unfortunate, right? So and the reason why I say unfortunately is because uh, cost and budget becomes sure, an issue, sure. right? Um, so... What is it like when you're talking about costs um, and baked in cost and ROI and things of that nature? Like, how does OpenStack stat? That was bad. From from what perspective? Uh, just like a like so monthly cost. Uh, I apologize. Compared to like let's say a uh, um, a public cloud service such as AWS. Sure. So as, as far as public cloud goes, um, typically your on-prem you know, solutions, if you actually look at the TCL, right, total cost, cost of ownership over, say, a longer period of time, three to five years, and you sit down with a you know, spreadsheet and look at everything, including you know, cooling and power and training for your guys, all that stuff, the, the storage refresh, the compute layer, right, the networking switches, all my licensing, you know, all my backup and disaster recovery software, everything. If you look at all that and then compare that to public cloud, a lot of times what you'll find is um, even with all those pieces and complexity, private cloud tends to be cheaper. But because of the current atmosphere, uh, you know, and being up here in Seattle, we see this more than just about uh, anybody else. We have Amazon and, you know, and Azure and Microsoft right here in our back, backyard. Uh, we see it all the time. And so there is this misnomer, I think, that, hey, um, we can provide this to you cheaper or faster. When really, at the end of the day, it's not. If you sit down and pencil it out, it just flat out is not. And even if you went down an OpenStack path that maybe it cost you a lot more money than you thought, it still is going to be cheaper than private cloud. I talk to customers every day that are spending millions of dollars a month in public cloud and trying to figure out how to rope in. Not all of it, right? Because, it's again, we need to look at public cloud as not the enemy but a tool. Yep. Again, it's the tool. Mm -hmm. So if I have OpenStack, it's a tool. If I have... Uh, you know, Windows and stuff, I still have to run an Exchange server. Exchange still runs the best mail on the planet. It's just the way it is. Well, if I got to have an Exchange server, it's the best tool to do the job, right? Mm -hmm. So again, use the tool to do the right thing, but don't do an all-in strategy. I talk to many customers a lot about, especially CIOs and CEOs when I'm in rooms with those guys. I'll say, hey, do you have a cloud first or a cloud-only initiative? Because if you have a cloud-only initiative, you're going to fail. Because if you're only ever going to shove anything ever in the cloud and not mm -hmm. be open and willing to look at other models that might solve your problem, then you're going to fail because you're going to be spending way too much money. You're going to realize in two or three or four years from now, or faster, that that's going to be too expensive and, 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 and you know too prohibitive. Whereas if you're open and say a cloud 
first initiative, not only, than saying, yeah. okay, anything new we build, we're going to go cloud first, right? Which makes sense. I get it. And does cloud mean public cloud could Azure be all the time? Or is that just, it can cloud be... Cloud first. <clears throat> What's cloud? As an operating model. The as NIST. Is the NIST yep. operating model, if you're familiar with that. And guys on the, on, the, on the phone here with us, you know, just understand that's, if you haven't heard of that, go, go Google it. Right now, <laughs> NIST definition of cloud. It's a little PDF that's out there. You can download it. It walks you through what cloud is. And cloud isn't a destination or a place, whether it's public or private. It, it's a set of criteria of what cloud can do and what it can manage for you, right? And so, again, going back to what your, your question is, hey, Mr. Customer, hey, CIO, you know, CEO, um, ask yourself these questions. Is it cloud only or cloud first? Because there's a big difference between those two. And I walk my customers through that all the time. And most of the time, it's a cloud-first initiative is usually where they're at, saying, you know what, new applications, we want them there. But I'm like, well, hey, what if it requires a lot of data that's not just ephemeral data that can just whoop, be gone in 10 minutes from now? Who cares? But if it's a lot, say it's you know 10 petabytes, then my next question is usually, who cares about OpenStack or public or private cloud or anything? Let's just time out for a second. What happens if you take that 10 petabytes and it's sitting in the public cloud and you want to pull that back down to private cloud, what happens, yep. right? And that's where you have to walk them through. Not only the cost that it's going to be, because it's going to be extremely expensive, but not only that, but how much time is it going to take to pull down 10 petabytes back out of the cloud? So those are things that that outside of OpenStack, and sorry if I kind of derailed this off on a little bit of a cloud <laughs> tangent here, but, but it, it fits into the discussion of saying cloud first or cloud only, regardless of OpenStack. No, I think it's perfect. Like this is uh, part of a cloud series, and I think that is uh, relevant and important information you shared. Um, so hybrid cloud, it seems like you mentioned a little bit ago, is like a big part of Dell's strategy. Mm -hmm. um, um, and then uh, who are some public cloud partners that OpenStack partners with? So our, the public cloud partners that they have are, are vast and wide. There are tons of them out there. Uh, including our own company. We have you know, some of our own partners that we can work with to do that. But really, at the end of the day, it's about um, figuring out what's the best model is for the customer. Correct. And so we're onboarding new partners all the time. Being part of our global alliances team, I can tell you that we are working very close, uh, for example, right now with like Canonical, for example, uh, getting their, our reference architecture built around that. So and getting, you know, because right now it's mainly around Red Hat, but we want to have other choices for our customers. So again, it's about choice. We really don't care as long as it meets the customer's need. I mean, really, we, we want to we do that. That's why we still partner with Microsoft and Red Hat. I mean, you want to talk about, it's really funny to hear, you know, you get these guys in the same room, and, and we're in the middle saying, hey, guys, we're here to help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we want to sell both your technologies and whatever makes sense. And so we're kind of that, that partner. It is a kind of a funny spot. You, you wouldn't think Dell would be in that spot. We are. We're in that spot of saying, hey, guys, we're here to help, whether that's Canonical, Red Hat, you know, whether that's Microsoft, whoever, even AWS. doesn't matter. So. Great questions. Uh, just one more, too. Um, one thing that uh, using a public cloud can definitely be a vendor lock-in from a, um, mm -hmm. in a sense, as well as traditional IT, like purchasing a lot sure. of legacy equipment. Uh, how does OpenStack help customers avoid that vendor lock-in? So the great thing about open technologies in general is that exactly what they do. Typically, uh, in an open type environment, you're locking yourself into some key technologies, but most of those key technologies, for example, Ceph. Ceph has upstream projects as well as projects that are, you know, supported by commercial industry like Red Hat, for example. But you can use free stuff. I mean, that's, you know, there's, there's not a problem with going out there and, and doing that. Um, 
same thing with a lot of these projects, you know, OpenShift and things like that. There's a lot of different ways you can accomplish the same thing. And so, therefore, if you built your infrastructure around a cloud-first type, you know, organization saying, hey, we're going to go cloud-first, we're going to build a cloud on-prem, and then we're going to, you know, push it out to the cloud, and we're going to use containers and microservices and all this. If next week, you know, Red Hat announced, oh, we're going to switch to this kind of container as opposed to this kind of container, you know, we're going to switch from, you know, what, whatever from OpenShift to Kubernetes. We just bought Kubernetes, which I don't think is going to happen. I'm just hypothetically spitballing. <laughs> yeah. There's people on the phone going, holy cow, what? Ray, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah, I just did the same thing. Uh, you know, <laughs> but I'm just, just for example, the landscape changes very rapidly these days. You never know what could happen, right? I mean, uh, and so maybe Microsoft buys Kubernetes to do their cloud, uh, you know, container platform. I mean, they're building their own containers right now. But my, the point I'm trying to make is that with all of that in an open type environment, what ends up happening is that you don't lock yourself into a particular technology. You might lock yourself into a vendor for support. That's really what ends up happening because why do you buy a commercial version over a community supported version? Like why do why do people buy Microsoft? Because for the most part, a little caveat in there, <laughs> it's going to be rock solid. You can pick up the phone and talk to somebody, right? Yep. It's not Windows 2000 anymore. You know, it's not <laughs> Windows 2008 R2 Hyper-V. This is, you know, we're running modern operating systems here, right? Um, and then you have things like, uh, uh, you know, support, uh, upgrades. All those things are really easy and you expect them to work. But if it's a free thing and it doesn't work, you're kind of a little ticked, but you're like, oh, it was free. What, there's not as much complaint or problems with it, right? And so that's where uh, when it talks about, you know, vendor lock-in, even if you use that, you know, we talked about the cookies before and, and whether you want to make your own or buy the cookie bag of cookies, um, you know, and that's a funny analogy, but it really is true. No matter what it is along that, that spectrum and that continuum, um, the ability to have that choice and make that choice, you don't even get vendor lock in there. I mean, you could take those same servers that you built for compute and storage and networking, right? And turn around and say, I'm gonna buy a, build a VMware cluster out of them tomorrow and you could do that. And so to me, open platforms like that lend themselves to absolutely no vendor lock in at all. You can absolutely repurpose that, that hardware to do something else. Whereas if you had bought you know, something that was a monolithic system of some sort, um, black box, mm -hmm. which some of our competition does sell when it comes to OpenStack, um, you can't do anything. That black box goes and dies. So if you just spend a million dollars on a black box, it goes into a hole and there's nothing you can do with it. So anyway, cool. So Trey, when we're talking to our customers, right, who are our prime audience for these? Is it you know, I'm not thinking we're going to go to the SMB mom and pop shop and have this conversation. Sure. Um, but where are we seeing success and customers that, that, that can invest the resources to adopt this? Sure. So many size of our customers adopt OpenStack. I see smaller customers doing it. I see larger customers doing it. But really, honestly, at the end of the day, the most successful have been those where they have the right resources in-house. Because even if it's a small shop... They can be very successful at OpenStack if they have the right guy. And I've seen that happen many times. Um, and I've also seen very large shops, which spend hundreds of millions of dollars on IT every year, that have been, it's gone down in flames. Why? Because they didn't have the right resource. Again, it goes back to one of those challenges we talked about earlier, is that they need that. Um, so it's really successful at all of them. But to answer your question more specifically, um, besides with the talent that they need in-house and being committed to the project, 
it, the use cases that are being very successful right now, specifically around technologies, are things like NFV or network function virtualization. And that's being used by a lot of telcos right now. So like Verizon and T-Mobile and all those guys, there's a lot of them out there that are AT&T uh, have spoke. A lot of those guys spoke actually at OpenStack uh, conference back, OpenStack Summit back in um, Boston this year. And a lot of the buzz around it was around two things. It was Kubernetes was one. That was a big one at the OpenStack uh, Summit. And the other one was NFV. There was a lot of folks presenting on NFV. So that's a big one. Um, is NFV. So if you hear somebody talking about NFV and one of your customers, and those are typically going to be telcos or larger uh, companies, uh, communications companies, uh, that's a big use case for it. Another one is just just larger scale cloud platforms for customers that are building out large IaaS and PaaS environments. OpenStack is a great fit for those guys. Um, you know, it, it's scale because that's where OpenStack really uh, thrives and does well is, is when it when it hits that uh, medium to large scale. Now, when it gets really, really large, there's uh, it, it does actually start to break down. There's some things that we would have to help you with and, and architect and do um, because it does at some point, like anything, there's certain systems that have to be break down. When they break down, and then you have to kind of tweak them and, and manage them. But really, to answer your question, it's those, it's those NFEs. It's those guys doing that. It's guys that have the right people in place. As far as people that we see have been successful with it, uh, telcos, startups, tech-based type companies right out of Silicon Valley because, they have the, again, they have the right resources and people <laughs> who do it. Uh, the other one is universities and, um, and oddly enough, even some religious organizations. And the reason why I say religious organizations or, or universities is because those organizations tend to have a lot of people uh, and resources that they can throw at the problem. So, for example, uh, university, if you, if you have a, a guy who's running a, a program and he wants to get a bunch of his undergrad guys mm-hmm. and he's trying to get his doctorate and he's going to use OpenStack to do it, he can get a bunch of his undergraduate guys to come in and do it for free. Yeah. And so that's where uh, it's been very successful in those types of environments. So um, anyway, and, and that need, also need a lot of flexibility. So they need that self-service portal. Hey, we have to serve the whole university. And there's all these different silos and all these different people and doctors that are you know, very smart, but they're not very smart with IT. So they go out and buy their own server. Well, they're trying to stop that and say, hey, guys, let's have this one standard platform where we can have containers and microservices and virtual machines and all that. And so that's where we've been very successful. So cool. I have one. I'm kind of curious about this. Like, what's the Dell advantage? Uh, one that you mentioned before is that there's a competitor that has OpenStack on some black boxes, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, outside of let's say the uh, the um, the open um, the standard architecture x86 architecture and and support Dell support. What else? What other advantages would you say? So a couple of other advantages are is yes, we do have that support and we have. Um, all that integration that we've done, but really it's it boils down to like for example, Red Hat and Dell actually work together to not only build and validate the solution, but actually architected code that went into making the solution better. Really engineering, co-engineering the solution, which is why it takes us typically we run about three months behind whatever the latest version of Red Hat is. And Red Hat's usually running three to six months behind whatever the latest version on their OSP for uh, you know whatever the latest version is for the community version. So that puts us anywhere from, you know, three to six to sometimes nine months behind depends on the work that's being done and behind the scenes. But the reason why is we want to validate it. We want it to be that bulletproof solution that they don't say, oh, OpenStack, you know, is terrible and it doesn't work in our environment. So we're going to switch back to either Windows or VMware or some, some other solution. Um, we want it to be bulletproof. And so Dell really went to a lot of pains and efforts to say, hey, we're going to create this thing called um, uh, Jetpack. 
which actually helps Jetstream get deployed. So if you want to redeploy another stack, you just use Jet, you know, Jetpack, boom, you have all the scripting, you have everything you need. Uh, it's going to deploy using Ironic and get it all out there. And so that's the work that we've done. And again, I mentioned earlier, I don't know if you heard that part, but we also contribute the most to any other, uh, than any other company to the OpenStack community. And that includes, uh, historically the Dell, you know, and now our new brothers at EMC. If you combine the two companies together, as we're doing right now, as we all know, um, that amount of contribution to the OpenStack community is larger than any other group uh, in the world. And so it's it's really exciting to see that because it shows the commitment that we have to OpenStack and how tightly integrated we are with it like no other vendor has. No other vendor can say that. No other vendor has that ability to have that kind of integration with OpenStack. Wonderful. Um, so what are the first steps our partners should take uh, to really engage their customers? Where do they go from here? Well, first of all, I would say, you know, is they're talking to their customers. OpenStack is not one of those leading questions. <laughs> it's not going to be, hey, you want to run OpenStack? You know, it doesn't really work like that. It, OpenStack conversation, you know, since we are talking about that specifically today, uh, Stuart, would be if you hear that agile versus waterfall type discussion, if they're having, they're using those kinds of words or they're using words like, you know, we're looking at containers or microservices or we're looking for a PaaS type platform or we're looking for an IaaS or we're looking at, um, <clears throat> we are looking at OpenStack and they use the word OpenStack. Obviously, those would be ones where you would kind of keep your ear out for that and say, hey, you know, do you know what Dell has to offer in this area? And we, then you can bring in the experts like myself, reach out to our team. And the earlier you engage us, the better off it usually is because we can help them uh, set the direction and tone for which direction they need to go. Because maybe at the very beginning, we can rule out OpenStack at the beginning and say, you know what, Azure Stack might be a much better fit for you because of how you develop applications. But if you're having that conversation with your customer, you're already starting to win, right? You're already Absolutely. helping guide them down a path and be a part of their business decision-making process. Yes. Which I think is a huge difference from you need another 20 terabytes or a little lower latency, right? Right. Or if somebody says, hey, you know, this is a great great thing. I always told my, my TSRs when I worked with them over the years, I always say, hey, some guy orders 50 servers. Why don't you, did you ask why? Why? Why do you need those 50 servers? Well, we're, we're going to run Ceph. Oh, well, why are you running Ceph? Oh, so I always have this rule with all, you all my You can get TSRs. to the Ceph answer? I can't even That's get right. to the <laughs> Ask more than three questions. Yeah. Don't just settle for the first questions. Oh, we're doing a refresh. A refresh for what? A refresh for storage. Well, what kind of storage? I took Ceph storage. Well, why are you using Ceph storage? It's for OpenStack. Well, why are you using... So suddenly you're three or four or five questions in. Don't just give up yep. after that first question. It's a refresh. Okay, great. I got my PO. I, uh, I took a journalism <laughs> class when I was like 18, right? My first thing I did. Um, the first thing they said was it takes five whys to get to any answer. Yep. It takes five of them. If you haven't gone why, 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 you never get to the real answer of what you're trying to get to, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, but it requires a little bit of tenacity and and. and and if you know if you're on the phone or you're in person, either way, and you're talking to your customer, uh, don't give up after that first question. Even if they kind of bat it away, you gotta keep asking. Ask them a different way or get creative yeah. with how you're asking that question. That way, you can get to the real meat of the issue. Because maybe they're gonna do OpenStack and they're gonna get really frustrated and say it's the servers you you built for them. Mm -hmm. When really it had nothing to do with that at all. It had to do with maybe they needed a really good partner to help them build the environment for them. And right. we missed out on an opportunity to provide them a whole solution. Yeah. It's like when we get mad at our corporate laptops. It wasn't the laptop's fault. It was that horrible image our company gave us. It's ID10T right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So to wrap this up, right, so what are some links that our customers, uh, that our partners, that our listeners can go uh, check out and get some more information and dive further into this? Sure. So there's dell.com forward slash cloud. Not Christian Cloud, not to be confused with that, just Dell.com forward slash cloud. I'm working on the promotion. You should work on <laughs> Dell.com forward slash Christian Cloud and see if you can get that, that page up. And then Dell.com forward slash OpenStack. So the cloud one will actually take you to a page where Dell addresses all the cloud offerings that we have. So you'll see that on the cloud page. Then if you go to slash OpenStack, you will see um, the specific, what we call our Jetstream product. And if you can download the reference architecture there completely for free, uh, you can get more information about Jetpack and some of the other things we do, as well as just general information about our OpenStack uh, reference architecture and, and solution. Um, and then as far as contacts go, uh, you can contact us at OpenStack at Dell.com. I know I mentioned that earlier, but just again, OpenStack at Dell.com. That goes to a distribution list that uh, my team is a part of, and we will definitely get back to you as soon as possible. Again, our, our team covers all of North America and Canada for every vertical, every account. So is, is, is it saying, is that your account? Yes, it's our account. If it's OpenStack, we're here to help help you. And I've worked with Trey and, and some of his team. Um, for those of you out there, I highly recommend you involve them in your customer discussions. Um, if there's the slightest chance, it's OpenStack. They are some of our top uh, customer-facing people. Um, and I, I think getting them out in front of them will, will pay dividends to, to you guys. Oh. Already read my mind. I was going to say, Trey, you've been a rock star working with you over the years. And yeah, this thank you for the great information you gave us today. Yeah, thank you. Uh, one more thing I'll say in the um, the follow uh, following education, right? We were talking earlier about we infrastructure folks need to learn application and some yeah. of the concepts, right? Container keeps coming up. Container, container, you hear it everywhere. And I, I think it's like cloud was six or seven years ago. Everybody yeah. says it. And nobody knows what it is. Um, <laughs> Docker's got a pretty good training thing that even yep. I was able to go do. Uh, I've started on the path. Kubernetes has probably one of the greatest training series I've ever mm -hmm. seen between the the web links and then the, the walkthroughs and the interview discussions. Uh, it's free. It helps set up a lot of things. So if, um, if you're like me and it really helps to visualize with a hands-on component, I think going to Kubernetes uh, and taking their free training sessions could be very valuable. It's really helped me put where, it is, where do these things fit Especially when we start talking infrastructures, code, and all the other parts that come mm -hmm, with containerization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have to highly recommend that. Well, there's also even a couple of books I would recommend. I know it's probably a couple of them have been beat to you know beat to a book. <laughs> uh, one of them would be like the Phoenix Project. Uh, while it is a, a, a book of uh, fiction, it is a lot of fun. Uh, it's fun fiction, and because it's so true, mm -hmm. it's almost factual because no, it made me i couldn't so read true. it i like to read as i try oh, yeah. and go to sleep and i couldn't read it at night because i'd be so angry yeah that i have to go do something else it just yeah. made me live it because it was like living in yeah. it yeah well i you know I, i've been an it director and manager before and so i, I got so frustrated the book i actually had to set it down a couple of times just because i yeah i got, got upset <laughs> yeah it, it's, it's like flashbacks crazy. yeah it's, it's, it, yeah it makes you break into cold sweats um the other one i would say is that written by the same guy called the devops handbook which is also available on amazon and it's a it's a great uh, and it's a collection of him talking to all these different companies and what they're doing. And so it's really, really great hands-on, hands-first, you know, uh, word of mouth, right from, right from the horse's mouth type of knowledge that's really, really great about what people are doing and how they're doing it, how they've taken kind of that Phoenix Project Agile methodology and applied it, you know, with the Kanbons and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's good stuff. It's, cool. it's really, really good. And thank you guys for having me today. I really appreciate it. Great to see you guys. Trey, thank you very much for joining us. It's uh, Trey Mears with Dell EMC has been our guest today. Christian Cloud. 
Uh, you can reach out to us anytime uh, through our, our Dell accounts. You can reach us uh, at ccloud.io yeah, C-Cloud on Twitter. I-O. You can reach at Stuart at Work on Twitter. Um, and we've got our, our site up, talkingio.com, and you've got our contact information there. So lots of ways to get a hold of us. Please don't hesitate. We want to be more engaged. Uh, we will be traveling to Atlanta the week of the 21st of August. Um, so while we're out there, the team, uh, we'd love to come join you guys. We'll send you some separate notes there as well. So everybody, thank you very much for the time today. Trey, thank you for being our guest. Absolutely. Thanks. Have a pleasure. This has been another episode of Talking I.O. with hosts Christian Cloud and Stuart Harmon. We appreciate you listening. Follow us on TalkingIO.com or on Twitter at TalkingIO. 